Remember on Monday's episode, we asked whether or not people would prefer to live in Wellington or New York because the capital's campaigning for Americans to come live and work here. How could I forget? Well, the people have spoken. Uh-huh. 64% of those who voted on our Instagram picked New York City. Wait, so th- 36%? Yeah, they still said they'd still want to stay in Welly. And not just on a good day. They they were firm team Welly. I actually got quite a few emails uh, about the pros and cons on New York v. Uh-huh. Wellington as well. So kia ora, everyone, for those. The one comment that I very much enjoyed was from Henry. And he said, Welly has a charm that New York doesn't offer. We'll take your word for it, Henry. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> kia ora, this is Newsable. I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. New Zealand's doubling down on its 100% renewable energy by 2050 goal, so how big a difference will two newly announced policies make? Also, job applications are surging, so we check in with what industries are being flooded with these prospective workers, and why this is actually happening. Foraging, it's a fun activity, but one you've got to be super careful about. We chat to a local chef about how to do it safely. And we're also talking our favourite ever childhood movies. We've got all that coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. The government has announced a partnership with the multinational investment firm BlackRock to create a $2 billion fund which is devoted to developing new renewable energy technologies. Here's a bit of audio from that press conference. I am absolutely stoked that we've been able to secure this world-leading investment in New Zealand businesses and it's proof of our ambitious climate targets having the world's attention. It's the second big renewable energy announcement in two days. On Monday, Chris Hipkins unveiled plans to fast-track three wind farms and nine solar panel farms. And all of this is geared at, A, bringing down electricity prices, and B, in the long term, getting New Zealand to 100% renewable electricity by 2050. But how realistic is that goal And will these new initiatives really make much of a difference? Well, Dr. Jen Purdy is a senior research fellow at Otago University's Centre for Sustainability, and she joins us now to chat. Kia ora. Kia ora, Emil. Kia ora, Imogen. Can you tell us a bit about the significance of this BlackRock investment fund for renewable energy? Is this a big deal? I'm not really sure how big a deal. It definitely helps. We we definitely need to build a lot of wind and solar between now and 2050. Uh, Well probably going out forever, actually. So anything that helps hasten that along is really good. To give you a bit of an idea, decarbonisation in New Zealand is going to result in electricity demand pretty much doubling. Electrifying a whole bunch of stuff is probably our biggest tool at the moment for decarbonising, failing some movement on agricultural emissions. The result of that is that we're going to possibly double our electricity demand in the next 30 years. And if we turn that into something that people can get their heads around, one of the most recent wind farms was the way Pipi Wind Farm in South Taranaki. So to double our electricity demand, we need to build something like Waipipi between 30 and 80 of those in the next 30 years. So that can be wind or solar, and there's going to be a bit of geothermal and a little bit of biogas, but largely it's going to be wind and solar. So we have to build an awful lot of stuff. So anything that can help that is good. So let's look at earlier this week as well. How important 
uh, was that announcement about new wind farms and solar farms getting fast-tracked? You know, that's really important because I think it takes several years to get wind farms off the ground and solar farms in terms of going through the resource consent process. And obviously there's a balance. We don't want to create greater environmental impact or or damage by building these wind farms, but we have to decarbonise, we have to decarbonise fast, and building wind and solar is really important. Jen, if if we take a step back and look at this really ambitious goal to get to 100% renewable by 2050, How well placed are we to do that in New Zealand? Like how much of our power does come from renewable sources and how how are we ranked on sort of a global scale, I suppose? Yeah, well, we're really well set up. So we've got significant large hydro schemes, which were largely, many of them were built during the government's Think Big phase in the 1970s. There was quite a few built in the Depression in the 1930s as well. We've got really high rainfall in the source of our biggest hydro lakes, and that's only expected to get a bit wetter under climate change. So that's a a good news climate change story, if you like. Uh, We've got plenty of wind and plenty of sunshine hours. So we're really well stocked with renewable energy sources. And we're already 85% renewable. In fact, at the end of last year, we had a couple of months where we were 95% renewable because we had lots of water and we didn't burn much coal. So um, we're getting really close to that. And 55% of our electricity is generated using hydro. And that's really, really important in that race to get fully renewable because you need something to firm up the wind and solar. The wind stops blowing and the sun stops shining and then you need something that you can hold back and turn on and hydro fits that really well because you can shut the gates and hold the water back when the wind is blowing and the sun is shining and when that stops happening you open the gates and let the hydro water go. Globally, last time I looked, we were something like 14th out of 200 countries, 4% renewable. There's there's quite a few that are 100% renewable, like Iceland and some places in South America, but they tend to have something else magic up up their sleeve. Iceland's got a huge amount of geothermal and a lot of hydro, which they can use to firm up any um, intermittency. Jen, why should people care about or pay attention to announcements around renewable energies? Uh, I think renewable energy affects everybody's lives and for many people their electricity bill is a large part of their household outgoings. A renewable system should be, in theory, be cheaper. You know, it costs something like $120 a megawatt hour to build a coal-fired power station and about $60 a megawatt hour to build a wind station. So, in theory, our electricity bills should go down over the next couple of decades. But the, the firming and the security and the intermittency of it all is what's really important. Having a secure system is sort of to everybody's advantage, and particularly for businesses and industry who don't want interruptions in their power supply. Um, I think probably everybody's got an interest in this. Jim Purdy from Otago University, thank you very much for coming on. Welcome. Hey, we're still going to talk about what to look out for when you're foraging for mushrooms. But while you're here, if you're enjoying what you're listening to, chuck us a like and a follow on your favourite podcast platform. It really helps other people to find us as well. We've recently gone through a tough workforce time for employers. There was talk about the Great Resignation, which apparently didn't ever have much of an impact here in Aotearoa. We've heard from various sectors as well that they've been struggling to recruit for positions in everything and anything from construction to health to hospital. But data from Trade Me appears to show that we may have turned a corner. They're reporting a surge of applications for some listings. So here to talk us through it all is Matt Tollich, Trade Me's job sales director. Kia ora, Matt. Kia ora. So look, this sounds like good news for employers and certain kinds of employees, I suppose, as well. So what sectors are seeing this surge? Yeah, it's those sectors that were, you know, screaming out for help 12 months ago. It's it's really interesting 
to have seen it flip so much. And to the extreme it is right now, you know, application numbers are up 200% year on year. Wow. That's a huge number. And it is in those jobs that keep our country moving, you know, hospitality and tourism, manufacturing and operations, construction, roading, trades and services. So those employers who needed candidates, there's now candidates here. Is this surge we're seeing a wider trend or is it just limited to what you've listed off there? Health also springs to mind when you think about workforce shortages. Yes, we've seen a spike in health. It is across the board. Mm. And so, you know, you called out um, the Great Resignation. We didn't really see that in New Zealand. You know, the borders shut. Um, and Kiwi were actually a little nervous to change roles during the COVID period. Um, they wanted stability. Um, but now that we're kind of at the back of that, we've got migrants coming back into the country, we're really seeing application numbers go through the roof. Is that the key factor behind this, Matt? You know, we've heard a lot about increased migration and how that's affecting the job market. Is that the single biggest factor on this surge in applications in, in specific areas, do you think? I think it's equally driven by immigration and Kiwi looking and, and okay to look for a new role, you know. We know that salaries are up in our salary data and so if they're not happy with their current employer, um, they're feeling comfortable to go out and look for a job. So that intent to change jobs I think is a big driver. So we're seeing an inundation of applications. It's a fun, fun way phrase. What are ways <laughs> then that candidates can stick out from the crowd? Writing your CV or cover letter in Comic Sans doesn't really seem to cut it anymore. Cover letter, there is a hack. So one thing you should do is like read the job listing and match that to your cover letter. Sure. So there usually be three or four bullet points that are must-haves. So make sure that you quickly update those in your cover letter. The online profile continues to, to grow in terms of how employers are, are going through either your LinkedIn, your Facebook, your Instagram, your TikTok. So don't be, you know, sculling too many beers. <laughs> Um, on those, make sure that your, your digital footprint is tidied up. It can be frowned upon if you don't have social media. It's a little bit like, oh, weird, this person what isn't are you on up social. To? Yeah. <laughs> can we pivot now just really quickly to the old work from home situation? Because Zoom this week did that staff have to go back into the office at least once or twice a week, I believe. And then staff's also been sent some pictures of packed park and ride scenarios up in Auckland and it sort of seems to me like the work from home era is over. Yeah, I I think it, it kind of signifies the switch from a, a job hunter market to more of an employer market. Um, and so when the job hunter had ultimate power, um, you know, they just kind of said, I want to work from home and, and you know, I need more flexibility. Mm. Uh, and now employers, you know, there are more candidates out there. I think they are tightening up on that a little bit. But also in our latest job hunter survey, it showed that, you know, during the pandemic, the last couple of years, kind of flexibility and stability was the number one driver for a job hunter. Now it's pay. Mm. And so um, it's less about, you know, I need flexibility in my role to want to work for you. It's more around I need cash in this cost of living crisis. So, you know, happy to come into the office if, if you need me to. Mm. Negotiations, I suppose. All about compromise, aren't they? Matt Tolich from Tramie, thanks very much for your time. Thank you, team. Appreciate it. We're chatting favourite childhood films of all time in a bit, so get in touch to tell us your favourite kids' movie because, boy, oh, boy, there were some bangers growing up. You can find us on TikTok or Insta. Search for Newsable NZ. Remember, you can always email us to newsable at stuff.co.nz. 
Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcast. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Homicide detectives in Victoria are trying to get to the bottom of a suspected fatal mushroom poisoning after a family meal led to the deaths of three people. It's believed they died after suffering symptoms consistent with death cap mushroom poisoning. Uh, now, at the time of recording, it is unclear as to how death cap mushrooms may have ended up in the food consumed. But death cap mushrooms are here in Aotearoa, New Zealand, and they're in season at the moment and frequently found under oak trees. So here to talk to us about how to safely forage for mushrooms is Chef Max Gordy from Gray's Wine Bar and Restaurant in Wellington. Kia ora, Max. Welcome to Newsable. Kia ora. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Max, can you safely forage for mushrooms. The risk to me just seems really high in terms of finding mushrooms that are safe to eat. I reckon there's uh, definitely, there's always a risk when you're picking anything, you know, you never know 100% for sure if it's going to be safe. You know, some, you know, workers might have come through and sprayed the area poison to kind of eradicate some mushrooms. So, I mean, foraging always comes with a little bit of risk. If you're not sure, don't eat it. <laughs> like that's like the guidelines I always try to have is like, if I'm not sure, I don't want to eat it. And I don't want to get anybody sick. I don't want to be sick. So yeah, best to just steer clear if you're unsure about it. So how do you get sure? Like how do you learn about what is and isn't safe for consumption? Uh, well, it just comes with experience really. Like there's so many different um, online resources these days where you can look and be like, okay, what kind of mushrooms can I eat? And um a lot of the telltale signs of mushrooms will be like, you know, has the underside like a spongy one or does it have gills? Does the, what does the spore print look like? How does it feel? You know, how does it smell? There's so many different factors into the edibility of a mushroom or just identifying it, which, you know, if you're a novice mushroom hunter or forager in general, like you're pretty naive if you think you're going to find a mushroom that you can eat on your first go or even like 10th go really i took me so long to be like oh i can eat this mushroom i did not do that for a long time <laughs> i guess in, in your case there's kind of a professional relevance to it right and that you work with food and so it is good for you to know how to forage but like i guess for normal people um uh like would, would you advise people to get into foraging as a fun safe activity or is it sort of like best left to the professionals yeah like that's kind of where i started like i didn't you know, I've started foraging just local weeds around, you know, your onion weed and your little edible herbs um, when I was a wee lad, but I got taken out by someone who knew what they were doing. And I was like, whoa, you can eat that. That's crazy. And it was really eye opening for me that you can eat so much stuff around. And it's really quite, quite awesome that, you know, the world is your oyster in a way. You can find so much cool stuff. But yeah, 
with that comes a lot of dangers and, you know, you have to accept that, you know, maybe, maybe it's not good. You know, there's so many different factors to take into account before you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I can eat all of this, you know. What's your number one rule when you're out there foraging? Um, being aware of your environment, pretty much, you know, that's such a key factor. Like if I'm foraging around uh, like pine trees, a lot of the time there's a lot of gorse around there and, you know, there might be um, rat traps around to like kind of look for rat traps and, you know, I think, okay, there's probably poison traps around here. What happens if the rats have mm. gone out and dispersed some of that? Um, so, yeah, maybe don't pick around there. Always just being very aware of your surroundings and also knowing what you're going to pick. Max Gordy, thank you so much for your time and your knowledge. Very important topic at the moment. Not a problem. Thanks so much for having me. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts. We love a list here at Newsville. We love a list. Unless it's a list of ways to have fun without spending much money that has a recommendation of use your imagination. Hey, just use your imagination. That's just patronising. <laughs> um, but today's list is, is vastly superior and it has been compiled by The Guardian. It is the 50 greatest children's films of all time. Pump it into my veins. I loved reading this because there were so many movies I hadn't thought of Nostalgia. in such a long time. Chicken Run. Uh-huh. James and the Giant Peach. Great movie. Babe. Pig in the City. Babe, Pig in the City. That's so good. Chicken Run, yeah. though, for me, I was like, oh, my God. <sighs> there were, you, you're right. It was like a trip down memory lane because it was, it was, it was organised according to age group, mm. right? Um, so mm. it had 10 in each age group. And mm. um, The Iron Giant was on there, which I haven't thought about in like 20 years. But, man, that's a great I movie. I've seen that. Matilda was on there. Yeah, Matilda's a classic. Um, uh, Mary Spirited Poppins. Away. So I think Spirited Away is probably the best. It's one of my favourite movies, full stop of all time. The Incredibles. Yeah, great film. There were, from my point of view, some notable emissions. Ah, uh, I concur. Yeah. Um, Steven Spielberg's Hook. Uh, oh, yeah. see again, movies I just haven't thought about in so long. I definitely would have had the never-ending story in there. Yes, but that always <laughs> has to come with a disclaimer because that yeah. moment when the horse goes into the quicksand. Heartbreaking. Not only was I terrified of quicksand yeah. or the idea of being caught in quicksand for a considerable amount of my life, it's just too sad to watch. It introduces you brutally to the concept of grief and unexpectedly as well. It blindsides you in that sense. I don't know whether you've ever seen the movie Madeline. About oh, the little French yes. girls? Yeah, yeah. I really love that movie too. I was also interested to discover about myself that I haven't actually seen a lot of even the more famous movies on this list. I haven't seen any of the Toy Stories. Uh, I haven't seen E.T. <laughs> Sorry? But the idea that you've managed to get to this point in your life and you've not seen a single Toy Story movie. Mm-hmm. Do I make a lot more sense to you now? All of the actually, gaping yeah, deficiencies in my personality? <laughs> actually, it does. Yeah. Everything I just go and watch all the Toy Stories this weekend and I come back on, on Monday a new man. You'll be a different person. Yeah, yeah. 
Oh, honestly, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. So um, we better call it there. But um, go and check that list out and uh, get in touch with us with your favourites on there as well. Uh, and also, if you think that you've they've, they've missed any out of that list, how do people get in touch with us again? They can find us on Instagram, Newsable, NZ, or flick us an email because I have a feeling some people are going to have some very strong opinions about this one. Newsable at stuff.co.nz. For now, though, that is Newsable for today. I'm Imogen Wells. And I'm Emil Donovan. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you tomorrow. Till then, bye-bye. Was this episode of Newsable usable? Then back NZ News by making a financial contribution at stuff.co.nz support.